guys and girls, another episode of Conversations Live Under the Influence. I'm your host, Natalia Nemes. I've got a bomb-ass guest today, Joseph Vasquez. He's doing some really great things in um, prison reform area in Los Angeles, and I'm super excited to chat with him. But first things first, it's been a minute since I've smoked. So while I get high, do you want to introduce yourself to our friends? <laughs> sure. Uh, my name is Joseph Vasquez, and... Uh, so I have a uh, basically uh, a project around um, uh, empowering at-risk youths and formerly incarcerated, and you know uh, mentoring them and also coaching them on living a life they love and living a life uh, beyond their wildest dreams. Like you know, when we're incarcerated, we always were in ourselves dreaming and talking about how we we're gonna do things when we get out, and you know all these like wild adventures would go on and yeah so i i uh basically i'm causing the matter on getting them to take steps on getting that yeah and correct me if i'm wrong you yourself have been incarcerated at some point in time as well correct yes yes as a juvenile and also as a young adult okay great yeah. and then um can you talk about, because I think a lot of people who've never had been either incarcerated or have known people incarcerated, like the stigmas that are true and then also the stigmas that are false when it comes to that, like how people get there and that sometimes for all these kids, it's a choice where I think from my experience, a lot of time people don't think about what was the environment to get them there in the first place. Like, can we talk a little bit about all that stuff from what you know? Sure. Okay. So basically, like uh, in the whole, uh, you know, environment of being incarcerated, I mean, I've been uh, incarcerated with guys who come from <clears throat> poverty stricken, stricken neighborhoods and like single parents or no mom or no dad or even foster homes. And I've even uh, been incarcerated with uh, people that, uh, you know, lived in, in, the, in Hollywood Hills and uh, Malibu and you know, their parents were like super well to do and, you know, uh, for lack of better words, wealthy and rich and, and the famous and, and all of it. Yeah. So there's no, like, um, there's no prejudice when it comes to someone getting, you know, being incarcerated, like you could live a perfectly great life and make a bad decision. And next thing you know, you're doing four, six, 12, even sometimes life depending on how bad of a decision you made, you know? Got it. Now, let me ask you this. Somebody was telling me that when you go to jail, it's cold as balls in there. Is that right? It is. I've Definitely. They keep the air on, you know, especially, okay, so there's different levels of it. Like in the county jail system, uh, you know, and keep in mind, it's like I paroled in 1997 and, uh, um, went back for a short time in, in 2010 and pretty much the same. It was like, you know, in the county facilities, it, it was like super cold, like frigid cold. And it's basically in my, you know, my experience, it's kind of desi designed for you to like hate it, like not want to be there, you know? And, and then once you move to the state, you know, it's a little more comfortable and sometimes even uncomfortable, depending on what your housing is, whether you're selling it up or, uh, you know, in a dorm with, you know, 
150 to 200 guys in a, a room that was designed for uh, like uh, like a basketball court or something similar to that. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Yep. Yeah, I um, one of my friends was like, the reason why all these drug dealers always wear these big hoodies is in case they get thrown in, they like got something going on. Like, yep. I True. never would have, I never would have thought about that. Um, but as far as more of the younger people that like um get incarcerated, I know you briefly talked to like, there's a lack of like structure and love there, right? You know, regardless if they're yeah. poverty-stricken place or even like a successful rich family, there's there's a lack of guidance and love so then these people turn to would you say like outside influences like gangs or just not well to do people and then they somehow find themselves in these situations mm -hmm. what happens a lot yeah well like uh there's different type of structures uh, when it comes to like gangs and uh like uh well that just basically like gangs you know like they have gangs from like i was from linwood right, which is right next to Compton and Watts. And then um, there's gangs in Hollywood and there's in the hills of Hollywood, you know, uh, in Torrance, you know, uh, Manhattan Beach, Palos Verdes. I mean, they everywhere. just come everywhere. Yeah, it's, 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 oh, in the valley, like uh, Thousand Oaks and late North Hills and different areas where most people look at it like being a rich neighborhood or, you know, like gangs only, you know, uh, that poverty stricken neighborhoods are the only places that have gangs. That's not true at all. Yeah. Yeah. How do these gang members know what other gang members like quote unquote look like? Like, how do you guys know who's in what gang? Um, normally it's the baseball hats oh. or Jersey or different color, um, you know, jerseys or jackets or, you know, just, yeah, no, normally it's, it's just like, sports memorabilia you know like yeah. uh, like for us uh anything that had an, an well in the area i was there was you know guys who had the m which stand for the mob and uh guys who had the p hats which stood for you know just basically the first initial of a gang is really what it is yeah and, wow. and any a lot of them you know cal state you know the bear there was a neighborhood once called bear street so yeah. yeah and all tattoos with a like dead giveaway what was it you yeah. said tattoos tattoos yeah like oh. either not so much back then like they were like face tattoos weren't so uh in then but you know like no, no normally in the neck or like on the arm or like somewhere on your forearms or on your yeah. hands is when you, you know you can know where you know like what area they were you know from yeah. and most gangs, they stick they in their own neighborhood anyway, so. Yeah, it's interesting, because I remember, I mean, I was from Florida, we had a bunch of gangs back in the day, but that was like 20 years ago, but I guess not much has changed, because from my understanding, it was the same thing, a lot of it was like the way people dress with the sports memorabilia and colors, I wasn't sure if it changed or not. Um, real quick, can you, because you're, you keep shaking a lot, is there a way for you to like, okay or whatever that thing is. <laughs> um, I don't mind because I'm unstable, but I know when people are watching it's be like this. Um, okay. But it's all good. So then how did you even get involved? So like once you got out, was like the prison reform and like going back and helping mentoring people, was that something in your mind while you were in there or was that something that came about years down the road that you're like, hey, I want to mm -hmm. do something? 
Yeah, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Uh, at first, it was, uh, okay, so which would you like me to ask first? Because uh, would you like me to say how I got involved or? Whatever. Like, okay, so yeah, it's like, you know, I came from like a regular family, mom and dad, you know, and uh, like not really any abuse or anything like that, you know? I mean, my, I think my parents were as strict as any other parents, you know, like, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child type thing back in the 80s. And uh, yeah, so um, my brothers were first involved in gangs and I idolized them. And, you know, um, a, a group of our friends, we basically formulated our own little gang and um, that's where it started out, you know, by, you know, smoking, drinking, doing drugs and yeah, just basically followed like everyone else would in, in that area. So that's that's what happened with that. And it got out of control. And most of my crimes were either uh, possession and sales of a controlled substance. Uh, one of my offenses was uh, a high-speed police chase. And then uh, I got the bright idea of trying to run over a police officer. So that... Oh were you on any substances or, yourself when that idea popped in your head or were you just trying to run for your life uh, i was just an out of a hand kid with a bunch of hate you know yeah like uh my parents okay so my parents worked a lot now that i think about it they worked like a lot you know and because it was five in our family right and uh not very much supervision and the people that were supervising me were you know gang related as well so that's kind of was a Got thing it. to do back then. yeah yeah so then i paroled in 1997 and uh i was on the straight and narrow for about five or six years seven years and uh so Got it, you know, went back to my union, started working, was basic. Oh, I got custody of my two boys. So, you know, like I was uh, doing, you know, taking care of my boys up until they got to about 17, 18 years old and they went off to college. And uh, like I said, up until like 2010, I was reincarcerated for, uh, this was funny, uh, for something that I, that was, so I moved to Seal Beach, right? I've always, after I, after I got out, I always lived in pretty decent uh, areas because of the type of work I do. And I was in Seal Beach and I heard a knock on the door and it was a police officer. First thing that came to my mind, cause he said, are you Joseph Vasquez? And he had, you know, a folder in front of him. And of course he had my picture. And I said, he's here, he's not here right now. <laughs> my first thing was lie, right? Lie to the police. I mean, I'm not gonna tell him myself, right? So there was a, a outstanding warrant from like, geez, 1994 right oh, and wow. i thought I, I was incarcerated and they said basically they said orange county dropped the ball so you got to pick it up so uh i was incarcerated not very long like i think it was like six weeks and uh at that time is when i seen a lot of young kids incarcerated and a lot of them had no structure, didn't know what they wanted to do with their life. And I was already living in Seal Beach and, you know, like changed my life. I, would, I stopped dressing, you know, like uh, I was affiliated and, you know, um, surfed and 
lived by the beach. So I did all the beach stuff that, you know, you'd live in a beach community and live in a great life. And, you know, it dawned on me. I'm like, hey, you know, I straightened up my life. Why can't I help these kids out? And that's, uh, that's how it started. Yeah. I love that. And is that something that's easy, actually? I mean, I would think that's a little bit difficult then to turn around and get into the prison system to talk to these kids that technically aren't related to you. I mean, was that a process to be able to get in there and talk to them? Like, can you walk me through that? Yeah. Um, okay. So, norm. Okay. So there was there's twelve steps and religious programs that go into uh, the facilities, and that's what I noticed when I went uh, back to clean up that little wreckage of my past, if if you will, right. Um, and so I reached out to those guys. I'm like, hey, you know, I really thank you for being here. I think it's pretty awesome. How could I, when I get out, be part of this? So they gave me some names and some, uh, not numbers, but just some names and some, uh, uh, like a 12-step program and then like some churches and a couple of outreach programs. So I basically formulated my own project uh, with me and about a other, uh, about 12 other um um, um, tradesmen who were also formerly incarcerated and, you know, spoke with them about, hey, how would you like to go with me to the juvenile halls and high schools and, and offer what we do to some of these at-risk youths? And uh, I got a group of 12 men and a couple of women that uh, we would go and into like Fred C. Nellis or, you know, um, couple other, you know, Los Padrinos and uh, a couple other places. We went to Chino once. We went to um, um, Terminal Island and spoke with some guys inside there as well. And, you know, basically told them, hey, you can make, you know, heck a hell of a lot money, more money than you would out in the street, you know, getting, your, you know, doing your hustle, you know, by becoming a union tradesman. So, you know, I left my numbers and the contact and, you know, it wasn't as successful in the beginning because, you know, uh, at that time, there were mostly guys who were looking to get out of their cells or out to do whatever hustle they had to do to, you know, when they gather up and they get together as opposed to being, you know, in single cells. And uh, yeah, uh, I think the first five years, I probably reached out to about and successfully uh, changed about maybe five guys' lives and it just kept going further and further and further yeah. hey five is a huge fucking number when we're talking about human lives so that's the thing like everyone listening everyone thinks it like takes huge huge numbers to like change the world but it all starts with like each person like you and i mm -hmm. looking out for areas that we can connect to people that are a little bit behind us and lift them up and bring them up so shout out to you for doing that and i hope whoever's listening can like maybe like use this as a learning lesson or a little bit of inspiration of like what can you be actively doing right now in your life to help somebody a little less fortunate because like you said there's so many people out there that don't have guidance and if they had a little bit of positive influence like you never know how much impact you could have on somebody to literally alter the course of their life so I think that's great. And then I'm sure too, a lot of the people that you've impacted have turned around and also impacted others and like have this trickle down effect. You're absolutely correct. Uh, so like, 
right now uh, I'm running uh, three different projects for my union and this company I'm working for. And, you know, lo and behold, every single guy on the job site is either have had family members or at one time were at risk or formerly incarcerated. So, you know, uh, they look up to me and, you know, I really take a stand that they get this trade and they become powerful leaders. And, you know, uh, I get calls every, I'd say at least five to six times uh you know, every few months on thanking me and acknowledging me for, you know, causing a uh, change in their life, you know? Yeah, it's like, uh, for instance, there was this one guy who was having a real tough time finding a job in the firefighter, in firefighter industry. And he, w he came out of Susanville, which is a fire camp. And uh, he came up to me and I was like, hey, what, would, what if you could choose, this is my question, if you could choose anything you wanted to do in life, what could you see yourself doing or having a job that you absolutely love going to and getting paid for it? And this guy said, I'd love to be a firefighter, but they won't accept me because I have felonies. And this is a guy who's done about 18 years of his life. And, uh, you know, it took a lot of no's, um, but he uh, eventually now he's in his eighth or ninth year of working for California Department of Forestry. He's married, he has two kids, and that's just, you know, one of many guys that I've, uh, you know, helped uh, uh, create a great life, you know? I love that. And then, because um, a lot of people too, I think, don't understand, I mean, the power of, quote unquote, giving back or helping others or mentoring or whatever. Would you like to describe some of the things that you've experienced um, positively from doing the work that you do, like how it's affected you in your life? Yeah, um, so like whether you call it karma or whatever, you know, uh, no good deed goes unturned, unturn you know, any of that, you know, it's just like, I, I strongly believe that I live the life I live because I give back to my community. And that means, you know, people who are in my shoes and, you know, being inspirational to them and, uh, yeah, I, I just like that. And not only that is watching them grow and then also watching them work with others. Cause what I left out is there's a couple of guys on my crew that, uh, just sitting back while I'm doing my paperwork on my computer and catching up. Uh, I just keep, I, I act like I'm doing my paperwork, but I'm really watching and listening to my guys and how they interact. And it's like a real, like a family, mm. like they, it's like they really care for one another. And it's it's like, that's the biggest payoff out of everything is watching them work together like a true brotherhood or a family, you know? And they look out for each other and they keep me in line if I'm ever in a bad mood and I say something, there's one guy he loves to say, that wasn't called for. And I say, you know what, you're absolutely right, man. I apologize, you know? Great. Keeping everyone in check. I love yeah. that. And I, and I think that's such a beautiful thing too, because like you said, like, the core and the essence of a lot of why people were in their situation in the first place is because they didn't have that love. They didn't have that support. So I think it's a beautiful thing on the other side to not only be able to be out there functioning and doing well, but now they've built this camaraderie too of like people keeping each other supported and, but in check in a healthy way, right? Versus mm -hmm. the negative influences. So that's great. Yeah. Building and uh, three, three of the guys uh, that I'm speaking of like one doesn't know who his father is. Mm. 
one, his father left at an early age and he's, did, he's doing life in prison. And uh, the other is uh, from Guatemala and it was just him and his mom and he doesn't know who his father is either. So, yeah. you know, like they, uh, it's a very humbling experience to be able to, to work with guys like that, to have the honor to work for them, you know? Yeah, I hear you. When I acknowledge them for doing a great job or I say, hey man, you did a great job. You knocked it out of the ballpark, like seeing the smile on their face. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, I get, I get their communication on like, you know, how impactful it is for them to have positive role models in their life. Absolutely. Yeah. And everyone who is listening, her parents, like, I mean, obviously this is to the extreme, but I think it's important that like, it's easy to get caught up with life and work, but like from what I've witnessed in my studies for building my book series is the parent child relationship is so important and it it can also as much as it's beautiful and empowering it could be also very damaging like you said like so many of these guys didn't have guidance from a male figure and i feel like so many people whether like you know the addiction part that runs in my family the core and the essence of a lot of these issues that we struggle with as teenagers or adults is this lack of relationship that we've had from one parent or the another could be the toxicity it could be not feeling loved enough so people are acting out it could be you know somebody was there but not there and um kind of like you said your parents were there but they weren't around so this anger was being built up and i think it's easy sometimes when people um get into the day-to-day -day grind of like being a husband and a wife and working and also parents but i think for parents listening you really should take a step back every now and then and you know take off your goggles and put on your child's goggles and try to view their world and what's going on through them. Because I think each side always can teach somebody something, but I think sometimes parents easily can negate what the child's trying to say because they don't know how to explain it at the level of the adult, you know? And I always think mm -hmm. it's important to take a step back and try to see that because obviously nobody wants their child or their adult child to grow up with problems, right? But somehow... Yeah we all are set up by our parents, our parents were set up by their parents. And, you know, right. I think it takes a minute to step back and be very conscious of um, a lot of things that we do, because a lot of times too, it's small things that we don't realize have big impacts on the right. people that we love, you know? And a, and a lot of it is just like you said, it's a generative conversation, you know, conversations like, well, my dad told me this, so I'm going to tell my son this. And, you know, it's in disempower and it sticks with kids. Mm -hmm. Many times I've worked with the guys and they're like, you're looking at me like I'm stupid. I'm like, well, great news is I don't think you're stupid. I think you're a smart guy. And then I ask them, why would you think that? What, what faces am I making? Well, my dad makes his face or my dad said, you know, and I look out for those triggers and I remind myself not to to you know use whatever it is that disempowers them you know and it's like get getting their love language and what it is to them on how to be acknowledged you know and it, it goes a long way when you tell somebody you're doing a great job or and i do that everywhere i go by the way you know like uh fast food you know restaurants or even like if i'm buying something at a liquor store or wherever it is i'm out there doing my thing in the world and i see someone's having a tough day you know i usually either joke around with them or even ask them, you know, Hey, what's going on? How are you doing? You know, and like really listen for, instead of listening to like listening for a connection or listening what's there for them. Yeah. Yes. Listen, P 
people are so busy to responding in their head while they're quote unquote listening to the other person versus genuinely listen, which I also think is powerful, which I'm sure too with what you're doing, I think a lot of, I think inmates probably aren't heard. So I'm sure like when you go in there, that's just as powerful as a tool for what you're doing versus anything else, you know, like some people really just need to be heard. Um, so let, let me ask you this. So is there any sort of long-term goal that like you have for this that you haven't already explored or is, is this what you're doing now? Or do you think that this is just something that you're going to continue or any big plans? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to always work with at-risk youths, but like my biggest uh, uh, goal is to, and like I spoke with you before about is, you know, starting my own company. Right. And I've, got all the paperwork filed. They sent me my incorporation number. They okayed my name. And I'd, I'd love to hire, you know, a lot of guys that uh, were, you know, at risk or formerly incarcerated because we are hard workers. We're hustlers. You know, we had to learn the keys on how to survive in the world that we put ourselves into, you know. And when, you know, my experience is, is that when you, you know, give somebody like myself a break, they'll be, uh, you know, loyal to you for like years and years and years to come. And the second payoff of that is not only do you have a really hard worker, but you know, you get to uh, help people, you know, uh, get what they want in life. You know? Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. And any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with anyone who's listening about whatever you have on your heart? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, for me, it's like my experience, and that's all I could really speak from, you know, is like what's worked for me in the world of all of that is, you know, and especially for me, it's like, so it's like I, I have ADD. So if you notice it, it's hard for me to stand. Yeah, I'm like fidgety. Yeah. Shout out to all my ADD people. I'm <laughs> one too. <laughs> I, uh, learning disorders and you know like reading disorders and I, I really have to go over and over and over and over something in order for it to land you know is just not let any of that noise that's in our head right in that voice in our head it's probably the voice that's saying I don't have a voice in my head you know <laughs> right? and just you know especially the disempowering part you know and have like an accountability buddy or a partner that can check in on you and make sure you're doing what you're doing, you know, and, uh, you know, like uh, for someone who was considered, you know, like a, uh, a two-time loser, right? And for someone who um, has, has had all these things that I've had to accomplish is just never give up, never give up and keep going forward and push, push, push. And yeah, just like, you know, like when I read your book, it was like very inspiring and like, I thought it was great and you like, hear I'm the kids read my great inspiring book if you haven't done so already <laughs> it's a, you've had a lot of great points inside there and you know things that uh, as I've always thank you for that a lot of stuff I added to to my formula of transformation for not only for me but for everyone else and you know the thing is no matter who you are or what you are or what you choose to be in life don't let anyone's disempowerment get in your way you know just use as they say, let your haters be your innovators, because uh, I have mine. I have my guys who, oh, you think you're all that. And, you know, and it's just like, it pushes me even harder to, to achieve my goals in life. Yeah. So stop it. Don't let that get in your way. Yeah. And, and this is one thing too, I really learned with the hater part. Like, 
if they're hating on you at, at whatever level they're hating, imagine how much, like going back to that inner thing that you're talking about, like actually what's going on in their head, like them talking to themselves. Because if they're projecting that negativity to you, there's a, it's a thousand times worse, you know, internally. So I'm just like, whatever anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And then for anybody that wants to find you on social media, you want to give a shout out to all your social media accounts? Sure. Yeah, so it's like I, I have a couple I'm working on now, but uh, on Facebook, it's just Joseph Vasquez and the same. And oh, uh, on Instagram, it's Happy Joe Lucky and soon to be uh, Swift Plumbing and Drains. I'm working on Yay. that one. Anybody needs a good plumber, hit them up. Right. So I'm going to be putting all the links as well in the descriptions. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Everybody's journey and story is inspiring to many people. So I appreciate that. For you guys who haven't already, um, don't forget to subscribe to the channel, like and comment anything, and you can always head over to my website, like he, Joseph said about for my books, other links to some courses and all that good stuff. All right, so in the meantime, do something nice, encourage other strangers, and um, keep rocking and help change the world. And thank you, Joseph, for being an example of that. Thank you for, thank you for having me. And uh, for you who are listening, reach out. I am here to listen and do the best I can to get what you want in life. Hey, all right, take care, my friends. Thank you, Natalie. Thank or Natalie, you. Natalie. I get it, I get it all. Purple butter, my if you smoke with me, you'll get high as f Popeyes eating chicken wings with my eyes low, I'll be fried up.